Well, good morning, IGC. It's good to be with you. I want to say, uh, before I begin, I just want to say thank you so much. If you didn't know, IGC is a supporting church of RUFSJSU, and this past year, as you can imagine, has uh, been really challenging. We got, uh, the students got moved off campus, and we were exclusively on Zoom. Uh, but as I think about the fall, there's this huge question mark. Um, the, the CSU system has said students can return, but individual departments have said uh, that they're going to remain online. And that's pretty unique to San Jose State. And so I share that with you because for, for us and our family, as we minister to college students, it's very unpredictable. It's very difficult to plan. But what I can always plan on and count on uh, is your support and your prayers. Just this month, you were able to, to support us financially, and we felt really blessed and supported by that. And so thank you so much. Just this past week, we had a student whose father passed away from cancer. It was pretty quick, uh, relatively quick. And so I want to thank you for allowing me to be there for her, to speak the gospel truth to her in uh, her moment of pain and sorrow as uh, her father passed. He was a Christian, and so he is in heaven, so she has that hope. Uh, but I just want to reiterate how, how special it is that we have this ministry to college students uh, for whatever they go through. And so thank you for partnering with us. Well, this morning we'll be looking at Psalm 139, which speaks very deeply and honestly about the presence of God. And I want us to think about presence, that concept of being present from the standpoint of our own struggle to be present in our day-to-day lives. Uh, back in seminary, I had a counseling professor who was from an older generation. And uh, in one of her lectures, she said to all the students, you, you are all addicted to technology. And I thought that was really funny because she didn't say we are all addicted to technology. She said you, as in you young people. Um, and But the next thing, so I thought that was pretty funny. But the next thing I thought was, um, you know, I, I think you got me. I think that you're right. I really have no defense. I think that that is true. Fast forward to today. I think saying that we're addicted to technology is a little bit too broad. Uh, we can be even more focused and say that we are addicted to our phones, our apps, and social media. And uh, what I'm saying is not a new or revolutionary. I think that we've known that for a while. We know we're very aware of how attached we can be to our devices. And I think that if you're honest with yourself, you'll admit that in our use of these technologies, uh, they can sometimes rob us of being present. Uh, we've all experienced someone in our lives telling us to put away our phones or ask us questions more than once or being distracted all day waiting for an important text or direct message uh, and if you're too young to have a cell phone uh, or to be on social media, you know what it's like to be ignored by your parents uh, who and it's not until they put down their phone or close their laptops that you get their attention. Uh, this problem has become so ubiquitous that there are documentaries where old tech workers of really successful companies will admit to building apps to be addictive. Uh, they look at their handiwork and they feel guilty that the result of all their hard work um, has made people more distracted and more anxious, especially of the younger generation. And perhaps it's gotten so bad for you uh, that you don't know how to be present, or it's something that is very, very hard to achieve to be present around your loved ones. So if you've ever felt distracted, if you've ever struggled with being glued to your phone or your email or social media, whatever is keeping you from being present, I want you to remember Psalm 139 and to meditate on Psalm 139 for help. This psalm is all about the ever-present God. And in his presence, 
uh, you will be captivated by something greater than any of all uh, of all of our attention grabbing addictions. And so uh, our morning's points are: first, God is present; secondly, it is godly to be present; and thirdly, the world needs us as Christians to be present. And so, with that, would you turn with me to Psalm 139? I'm going to read the first 18 verses to start, and then we'll finish the chapter later in the sermon. All right, this is God's word, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behold, uh, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that as we come to you, we do not pray into the air, but we pray to the ever-present God. You are with us, and we ask that your presence uh, would be here and would be felt and would be known, uh, for you are, um, you promise to be with us. And so we rely on you by faith, knowing that because of what Jesus has done, we can enter uh, your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. Be here now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First, God is present. Uh, I had a student who recently came to faith, and uh, he said to me once, you know, you keep telling me uh, that God is here, but it's really hard to believe because I can't see him, uh, and I don't feel his presence. He seems so distant. It's hard for me to remember that he's really there. And I think that this is, this is an important expression of how we've all felt in the Christian faith at one time or another. Uh, and your reflex might be to say, well, hmm, you just got to believe that God is there. Or maybe you say inside, hmm, that's too bad for you. I think the reality is you can't make someone or force someone uh, to, to perceive the reality of the presence of God. And I think that Psalm 139, the first six verses are really helpful here. I'm going to read them again. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. 
It is high and I cannot attain it. What we see here in these verses is that it's actually more important and meaningful that God takes special notice of us than that we take notice of him. I want you to imagine a parent whose child is running uh, from the driveway into a busy street. In that situation, it's more important that the parent notices the child than that the child is aware of their parent's presence. So what I'm saying is dwelling on God's activity of him paying attention to you is where you should start if God ever seems distant and you can't sense him. Uh, These verses with poetic imagery are telling you with uh, what great and complete focus God's attention is on you. As verse six says, it is mind boggling to think about uh, the the power and the force God uses to be focused on us. Uh, There are a few times in my life where I've experienced uh, complete focus. Uh, One of those times was preparing for the very last swim meet that I would be in uh, in my senior year in high school. Uh, Leading up to that event was a long buildup of uh, a year long of meets and practices. And in swimming, when it's the championships and the finals, if you didn't know, uh, you shave off all your body hair. It is, uh, it's, it's done to reduce drag. It's not a fashion thing. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's an involved process. And so on race day, here's what happened. I got on the block. I was in the ready position. I heard the buzzer. And when I hit the water, uh, I was, uh, in the zone. The person to the right of me and the person to the left of me, they disappeared. And all I was focused on was the lane and my race. And, uh, as I think about what it means for, for us to be in the zone, maybe you've experienced that, maybe not at a swim meet, but at a, at a music recital, an important work meeting, an important school project, maybe on your wedding day, uh, or maybe when you became a parent, uh, all of us at one time or another have been in the zone where you experienced incredible focus. And Psalm 139 is saying that, that God is in the zone with you all the time. He has full and complete attention on you and your soul. He is a focus expert on our inmost thoughts and feelings and dreams. Now, for us to maintain complete focus is a difficult thing. We eventually run out of gas. Uh, We can't maintain that level of focus. And I want you to hear, uh, not so with God. Uh, He not only has been in the zone with you, he has been in the zone with everyone, every part of his creation for all of time. And so that's what the psalmist says is too hard for me to grasp. I can't even concentrate on one thing for very long. And God has that level of focus. His attention is on you, except that exists for all of his creation. In theology, we describe this concept as God's omnipresence or his all presence. God's omnipresence means that you can know for certain that you are never alone. God's presence is with you. And he makes that uh, more clear to us sometimes, sometimes in prayer, uh, sometimes at church. But I think he especially makes his presence known uh, when we're the most desperate, uh, when you really screw up and you have to face the consequences of your sin, or when you get a devastating health diagnosis, you sense his presence in special ways. But whether we feel him close or not, the Bible is telling you, know this, I am with you. I am present. I have not turned my face away. I've not stopped paying attention. Verse four tells us that one of the ways that we know that God is with us is that he really does know us. I'm someone who throughout my life has struggled uh, with loneliness. I think loneliness is the chief way that sadness enters into my life. And so as an immature teenager, I thought that the antidote to uh, in this world to loneliness was to have a girlfriend. 
And in high school, I didn't have a girlfriend to my great sadness and disappointment. And then one of my high school friends who did have a girlfriend, he said to me once, you know, Brian, I have never been more lonely than when I was in a relationship. And uh, I had to think about what he meant for a while, but here's what he meant. He said that having a girlfriend, and maybe this was his girlfriend at the time, having a girlfriend who didn't understand him, didn't get him, didn't get what drove him, didn't get what made him tick, uh, resulted in a much more dramatic and deep loneliness than the absence of someone's physical presence. One of the cries of the depressed and the discouraged is, nobody understands me. Not my parents, not my friends, not my spouse, not my kids, not my church. God not only notices you, he knows you with a deep and a full and complete knowledge. The almighty God, who is more powerful and more important than any human being here on earth, genuinely knows you and understands you. And God describes the intimacy of his knowledge in verses 13 through 18. He says things like, I formed you from your inward parts. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, That's in the past and in the future. Uh, In the book that he has written, this is verse 16, every one of them, the days that you formed for me, uh, when as yet there were none of them, God's thoughts were for us. He knows our past, our present, and our future. God's intimate knowledge of you is focused on every stage of your life. And so God's intimate and true knowledge of us is the stabilizing reality that gives us the patience and the sanity to make friends and to build a family with people who are sinful, who even in their best efforts will only know us partially, incompletely. But if God genuinely knows us, then we're not alone in the world and we really are understood by the create your creator. God's presence is not only quality presence, it's also quantity presence. He is aware of you and watches over you all of the time. And I want you to know that there's a flip side to that coin, as comforting as that is. Um, it also means that God is aware of all of your sin. He knows when you will sin. He knows when you have been planning to sin long before you actually carry it out. And that reality makes us want to run and hide from him. And I think Psalm 139, 7 verses 7 through 8 are very helpful here. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The psalmist is using a, a height and a depth metaphor to teach us that there's nowhere that we can go where God will lose track of us. And it also means that in reality, genuinely, you cannot run from your sin. And yet we do run. We try to run. Uh, and the act of God, of running from God and hiding from him, that's what the Bible calls darkness. The Bible says that all of us begin our lives in darkness. And the gospel is that the light of Jesus, the light of the world, that, as God calls him, has entered the darkness of our world and our lives. Our desire is to run and hide because we think that God's resting state, the way that he normally is, is to be angry. His default mode is to be wrathful and punishing. And he's waiting for us to fail. And so that's why we want to run. But I want you to hear that nothing could be further from the truth. Look at verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. In the presence of God, he can turn your darkness into light. He can take us from being lost and groping around, feeling in the dark, trying to navigate through this world. 
and he can shine his light on us and we can see, we can see clearly. And so what I'm calling you to do, church, is to bring your sins to God and in his presence, he will turn that darkness into light. If you think I'm uh, taking some liberties with the poetry of the Psalms, I want you to know that Paul says the very same thing in Ephesians chapter five, verses 11 through 14. Hear this, verse, uh, this is Ephesians 5, 11 to 14. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's a children's book that uh, I've, I've enjoyed reading to my son, and it's called The Lightlings. It's written by R.C. Sproul. And it's a, it's a book that teaches the kids about the gospel uh, using light and dark imagery. And uh, the book starts with a boy who, at, who was afraid of the dark and he needs a nightlight. And he asks his grandpa, Grandpa, why am I afraid of the dark? And his grandpa says wisely, you know, not only are many people afraid of the dark, many people are afraid of the light. Uh, the presence of God exposes our sin. That's part of it. Uh, part of knowing God is is coming to terms with that reality. But the presence of God also shows us his son, Jesus, and uh, who is the light of the world. And it's through his death and resurrection that we become sons of light. Uh, he takes our darkness and turns us into agents of light that bring light, his light into this world. So that leads me to my second point. It is godly to be present. Uh, and part, if, if, God, if part of God's character is to be present, then I want you to consider that for you to be present is a godly thing. I think it's common to think, or at least I, I think this way without deep reflection, that being present or not present, uh, it's not a spiritual, it's not a thing in a spiritual category. I put it in a, in a good habit or a bad habit category. And, and when I do that, it, uh, it means that God has, he doesn't speak into this, the concept of being maybe addicted to my phone or, or, or not being present with, with my family or friends. You might think, you know, if I'm more present, I'll be more productive. It, it only goes that far. Or if I'm more present, I won't be so overwhelmed or anxious. I'll be able to make better decisions. Maybe you're annoyed at people uh, who you know who are on their phones all the time, but then you're also annoyed at yourself because you're the very same way. Uh, and what I want to show you is not only does uh, being present have spiritual significance, uh, this is a problem that is not modern. It goes way back in human history. Uh, when we when we see the problem of not being present mentally and spiritually, we can see it in the Garden of Eden. Think about Genesis 3, when Eve is tempted to eat the fruit of the knowledge, uh, the forbidden fruit of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, it says that she eats it and then she gives the fruit to her husband who was with her. He was standing right there. Adam watched his wife Eve be tempted. He watched Satan lie to her about God. And he stood there silently as Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And then he ate some himself. And this single act plunged humanity into sin and misery. Now, Adam was physically with Eve, but his mind, his heart, his soul were not with her. I don't think that Adam was in la-la land, uh, but uh, not only was he not present as a husband, he wasn't present with God his promises, and his responsibility to have dominion over creation. Perhaps he was distracted with 
the imagination of what would it be like to be equal with God. That's what the serpent tempted them with. And he, he was maybe thinking of that instead of trusting and obeying God. A present Adam, uh, what would he have done? A present Adam would have gotten angry. You can almost imagine him becoming violently angry. The serpent was lying about God and life and wisdom. He should have cast the serpent out or stoned it to death, therefore, thereby obeying God and protecting his wife and, and all of us, everyone who descends from him. Instead, he forgets God's goodness. He fails to protect Eve and he brings sin and death into the world. Being present has deeply spiritual uh, uh, has a deeply spiritual component, and it impacts our lives spiritually. And so, what do we do? Uh, well, we talked in the first point about God being omnipresent. Uh, that is something that is only for Him. Only God can be omnipresent. And so, uh, since He is present everywhere and focused on His creation, uh, you can be present. So God is omnipresent. And that frees us to be present. Uh, And I want to encourage you to embrace that limit. Where God is unlimited, when humans try to grasp at that unlimited power to try to do that, weird and strange things happen. Uh, I think one of the reasons that we're so addicted to our phones and our applications and social media is that these tools, uh, they attempt to, not in reality, but they attempt to allow us to be in two places at once. You can be with a friend or a family member and you get an alert on your phone and um, and that allows you the option to pretend to be in two places at once. And without any thought, we sort of automatically sideline the people we're with so we can go attend to whatever's on the other line of our, of our phone or our, our app. I want you to know that I'm a smartphone owner. I'm not anti-technology. I use it all the time, but I struggle with these things as you do. So I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. Uh, but I also, I want you to know that since I know this, I want you to hear that unregulated uh, phone use is not a neutral action. It's not something that means nothing. Those who need your attention and who see you constantly drawn away will be impacted. Uh, I think about a generation of young children who have constantly distracted parents who will learn that at the dinging of their phone, they will be backseated. I think phone addiction is a common problem, but, but here's how I want you to know that I'm not anti-technology. I don't actually think you need the technology for this to happen in your life. I don't know uh, about you, but I have the ability to work when I'm not at my desk, so I can work on a Bible study or a sermon in my head. And so during family time, when I'm supposed to be present with my wife and my son, I can be in la-la land, I can be not engaged. And here's the point, uh, when I try to be at my work and at my family at the same time, I do neither well. It's not a good Bible study or sermon, and my family feels slighted and disrespected. Um, and uh, it's no longer family time. I have, I have ruined both because I tried to be in two places when God has designed me to be present at one time. Let God be omnipresent so that we can be present. Um, trying to be in two places, I just want to reiterate, is not multitasking. I know that many of you do many things at one time. Uh, and uh, I don't have a comment on that, but, uh, but being... Uh, being in two places at once is having your heart and attention in two places uh, where if you do that, inevitably one of those parties will be slighted and disrespected and ignored. And so what I'm saying is when it's time to be present with someone, when it's time for that, be there. There are times when you can be alone to engage in work, to, in, uh, to even be entertained. And when it's time to do that, do that. 
There's, there's no guilt in that. Um, but don't use these tools to take us away from uh, important things in our lives, people who are important. And so what, is, what does it look like to be present? Uh, this is not self-help. This is not to try really hard. Our presence is to be patterned after God. It's not going to be equal to God, but it is to be patterned after God. And so the same way that God is present with us, we need to be present with those around us. And so first, I want to encourage you to take notice of those around you. When you're with someone, you can think of this phrase, be in the zone with them. Um, now, depending on the degree of your phone addiction, mine is pretty heavy. When my phone rings or I get a direct message or my social media goes off, uh, I have become conditioned to reach for my pocket or to grab it off the table. And not doing that is like trying to hold in a sneeze or not scratch a bug bite. Uh, it is terribly difficult. And if you uh, have that reaction and it's like, look, I can't even concentrate because I have to address my phone. Uh, I want to just make clear to you that you you are probably not free. Uh, if you are controlled to that point where I have to address this or I can't, my mind can't be free, I can't be with you, then, uh, then you are... Uh, in, in some ways, as an analogy, a slave to that to that uh, that behavior and needing to be in those two different places. And so I encourage you to be in the zone with people, be with them um, and put effort into that. I also want to say that, uh, secondly, that just as the way that we know God's presence is that he knows us, that when you're with people, uh, it's important that that time is used to get to know one another. And so, hey, how was your day? Uh, may not be enough, uh, but talk and ask questions and seek to really understand the person you're with. And if you do that, not only will you be physically there, but the people in your presence will feel loved and genuinely cared for. God knows us truly. When we are present, we seek to know others truly. Thirdly, as Christians, we don't seek to follow Adam's example where he just sits by and allows darkness into the lives of him, his family and, and himself. And so when we fail to be present, we see um, uh, different ways that uh, sin is impacting our, our lives and our family, and we just do nothing. Being present means that when th- things that are dangerous, things that are contrary to God's word come into our lives, we're able to see it, we're able to call it out, and we shine Christ's light upon it, so that, not to shame or to judge people, but when we see sin uh, among us in our lives or our family members, we call it out so that Christ's light can shine on it, so we can go to Jesus and be forgiven. And in that light, we have freedom. And so the three ways that we can be present are patterned after God. Be focused, take notice, just as God notices us. Get to know the people you're with genuinely and truly. That's a way to be present. And thirdly, um, to, to be mindful that uh, sin is, uh, is present among us. And so when we see it, we can identify it. We call it out. We don't just let it wash over us. We don't just accept it. As God makes you, uh, as reflectors of his light, people who are present, I want you uh, to know that uh, this this is not only a blessing for yourselves, but it is something that the world needs. That's my third point. The world needs you to be present. And now we're going to look and read the back half of this psalm. It's a little bit different, so hold on. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. 
Uh, I think this is in the, the movies or TV shows when the record scratches. That's what I think about when I hear this. Uh, this is a bit of a trend, transition from what we've been reading. We've enjoyed hearing about God's presence, his attention, his care, his love. We've seen how God's omnipresence sets us free to be present. But verses 19 through 22 are really different. And here's what I want you to see from this. Uh, Part of being present is that you have to stare ungodliness, injustice, and evil in the face. These things exist in the world, and we are not to be people who bury our heads in the sand. One of the non-Christian students I got to engage in the ministry at San Jose State uh, was firmly entrenched in the idea that Christians uh, use their Christianity uh, to essentially numb themselves of the realities of life. Life is hard, but you have this religion that you take upon yourself so you don't have to deal with difficult things. Uh, you Christians are just using um, uh, your, your religion to deal with uh, as, a, as a drug to deal with these bad things. And I would actually rather use real drugs and real alcohol to numb myself than having to go through all the, the rigors of religion. And uh, if you take a good hard look at evil in this world, uh, you will have to come to the conclusion that someone has to get involved. It can't just be like this. Someone more powerful than me has got to make things right. And when we see evil uh, and we face evil, I think one of the common reflexes I see is uh, that we often accuse God of being absent. Uh, we see things on the news or we read things and we say, how can this be? How could some people do that to someone? And uh, I see the evil, obviously, and God, where are you? You don't notice it at all. And the psalmist, in an idealized prayer, he's, he's saying that he understands that God does indeed see. And he understands that evil must be seen and called out. Uh, there's a publication that I have come to read frequently. It's called Next Shark. I, I would say that it's the main publication and journalism representative uh, that, that makes known crimes against Asians uh, in our community. It's the one that always is saying Hey, did you see this? I think that the, I could guess that the vision statement of Next Shark is crimes against Asians are not okay. We, world, pay attention. The psalmist is calling out to God and saying, Lord, I am paying attention. I hate the evil things I see, just as I know that you hate them. God is calling you to be present and to be aware, to be engaged with the world around you. Uh, We don't pretend that evil is not there, either outside or in ourselves. The light of God allows us to see it all, and we address it realistically. But we address it as people with hope. There are people who are living in darkness, and all they see is darkness, and they need the light of God's presence. And our job as God's agents here, his children, his disciples, Christians, our job is to bring the light of the gospel into their lives. And being present means that we are aware We are aware of the darkness uh, that affects our lives. And so what that means is that when you're engaging with your non-Christian friends or family members, you are looking for different ways that they have been injured and affected by sin or the different ways that sin has so infiltrated their lives that all they can do is hurt people. And it's in this um, obvious darkness that you have an opportunity as a child of light to speak into their lives and to share the gospel and let them know it doesn't have to be like this. This is not how your life in this world must be. But God has done something. Jesus has come. He has come into our world. He has died on the cross. He has risen again. He has defeated the dominion of sin and the forces of darkness. 
And so you are not stuck where you are, but there is freedom in Christ. Evangelism is the exercise of being fully present with people, uh, hearing from them, getting to know them, and then being uh, aware enough, being present enough to say, I think this is a moment where it is time for you to hear about Jesus, the Jesus that I know. Well, we've spent a lot of time talking about God's presence, uh, the godliness of being present for us, what God is doing in our lives, and how evangelism, uh, one way to think about it uh, creatively is to think about being present with the, our friends and family members who don't know Jesus. Uh, and our psalm closes with a word of comfort. Uh, it, it's a prayer request. This is verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way, grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, the more that we know about God's presence, the more we crave it and desire it. And uh, it's interesting that uh, the psalmist ends his psalm this way because all these prayer requests, he knows the answer. It's, it's like this, search me, O God, and know my heart. God's answer, I will. And I already do know your heart. Try me and know my thoughts. God's answer, I will, and I do. And see if there be any grievous way in me. God says, there are grievous ways in you. I'm aware of them. I sent Jesus because of those sins, and I've made a provision for your forgiveness. Lastly, and lead me in the way everlasting. God says, I will lead you. Follow me, and you will know that I am present with you always. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you uh, that your word speaks into every aspect of our lives when we think that you have nothing to say about um, being present or our use of technology. Um, you speak a word uh, that is greater and far above um, our addictions and our difficulties. I pray that you would use this psalm to draw us to you, to help us to understand the wonder that the God of the universe is present with us and help us uh, to reflect your glory in this world. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.